0: Welcome to New Hope's teaching podcast. This is an excerpt from our Sunday morning service. Visit newhopepdx.org/teaching for notes, worship, and church announcements. Stay up to date with our teaching series and events by downloading our app. Just text New Hope PDX app to seven seven nine seven seven. Enjoy this week's lesson. All right, good morning. That's called our Better Together kind of video series we're doing. Thanks to our our tech team, especially Ty, for putting time into that. Uh, It's kind of came from this idea of like, we've kind of been apart and we're starting to emerge from this thing that's happening that separated us. And as we come together as two churches still, we gotta know people's stories, like stories are powerful. So about once a month, we're hoping to show a story like that until you guys tell us you don't like them and then we'll stop doing, them. I don't know. I, I think they're pretty cool. So Let me ask you a question. Uh, when you think of the, the good life, what comes into your mind? The good life, what is the good life? I bet whatever comes in your mind is heavily shaped by marketing and advertising. I came across a stat the other day, that said the normal person in the course of a day sees between 6,000 and 10,000 ads. I mean, that's, you could not doubt that, but then you start to think about it. Unless you live in a cave and use smoke signals for communication, right? You're like accosted by this. It's everywhere. You're wearing some of it this morning, right? It's everywhere you look, you start to see this and they're all selling us something. There's not anything inherently wrong with advertising or marketing, so don't hear that, but they're all selling us something, and I'm putting forth today they're selling us a distorted view of what the good life is, not according to John, but according to Jesus and the writers of Scripture. So when you think of the good life, what comes to your mind? Maybe some images like this. There'll be some images come up on the screen like that. Like I've never had that happen to me. Merry Christmas! <laughs> like, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> I drive a 2005 Prius. So uh, there we go. There's that. That's good life, right? Uh, good life. That that is for sale right now in Beverly Hills for 135 million. If anybody's interested, it's still it's still there. Uh, Next, uh, that is the most expensive restaurant in the world. In Spain, it's underwater. It goes for a cool $2,400 a head for a meal. But there's 20 courses, so you won't be hungry. Uh, and then the lottery, of course, that's the good life, oh my gosh, uh, and then golf, which I don't know, I like golf, but I think it's like a good walk spoiled is what I say, you know, <laughs> some of you think that golf is like that, so I don't know, a ton of different things, fishing or whatever, Thing, least, and none of these things are inherently wrong, please feel that, there's, there's no shame in talking about this stuff, but coupled together as followers of Jesus, as part of a, a kingdom not of this world, that's not the good life. There's this movie, a Pixar movie, Wall-E. Anybody seen Wall-E? It came out a long time ago, right? It's a cool movie. I want to rewatch it, but like little robot, he's like left on planet Earth because we've trashed it. At least that would never happen, right? And then we have to leave. And then like the future of humanity is this picture, and I think a picture will come up on the screen, of humanity in like, this is like utopia. We've all become just consumers. And if you remember these scenes from the movie, they're staggering. And we're all just sitting there consuming food and consuming drink, and we're kind of, we don't even have to walk, we're in these chairs, and there's screens and there's advertisements everywhere. We, because of AI and because of wealth, we've just become consumers. That is not the good life. Can I get an amen? amen? It's not the good life. We're the third week in a series called The Good Life, and it goes back and it's closely connected to a three week series. That I did launch the fall. And I argued in that series that, that m- many of us follow a shrunken gospel. That we follow a gospel that says the gospel is only that I pray a prayer to Jesus. He died for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. So essentially, the shrunken gospel is we're waiting to live till we die. That doesn't sound very hopeful. Now, those things, Jesus covering our sin and eternity, they're part of the gospel, but there's so much more. And we see that as we open scripture. It's bigger and better than we could ever imagine, that we're invited into this kingdom that's here on this earth now, and we can live into it now as followers of Jesus. So I thought, wouldn't it be cool if then, after we kind of laid the groundwork, which I hope we did in those first three weeks, that we can begin to interact those ideas with everyday topics. How does this fuller gospel, as opposed to a shrunken gospel, how does it affect and transform said topic? And so in in week one, Pastor Mike talked about vocation. And then last week, week two, that was a really encouraging Sunday for me last week, our 15 partners. And Denise was bringing the heat up here. She was awesome. And we talked about how does that fuller gospel reshape how we see the problems in the world. Now, there's plenty of problems in the world. We know that. But the shrunken gospel is like, oh, well, I didn't do that. It's not about me. It's not about me as an individual. The fuller gospel says we are called to be stewards of creation. We're called together with the spirit of God to be making all things right as we live into our imagined future in the kingdom of God. We don't have to wait to live. We can live now. So today, we're going to talk about this fuller gospel. And are you ready for it? Money. Oh, no everybody some of you just went "Mm." (laughs) mmm and you're looking for the nearest exit I got to go to the bathroom you're like I'm out of here yeah here's the deal so I'm just gonna be really really honest throughout the message today as a pastor I've been doing this for like 25 years now I don't like talking about money I'll be honest and for many many years I didn't and here's the reason why I wasn't scared of it, those kind of things. The church has done so many deceitful, weird, manipulative things with money, it makes me uncomfortable. There's a lot of wounds in this room on the topic of church and Jesus and money, and it's a very personal topic. So I just shied away with it. I remember I was meeting with a mentor a while back and many years ago, and I almost was bragging to this mentor, like, yeah, I don't really preach about money much. And he kind of like did this, and he kind of looked at me, and he said, well, you must not care about discipleship much. I was like, whoa. And the more I thought about it, he was right. When you open scripture, and that's, what, that's, that's the core of what we do right here. We look at scripture to lead and guide us. Jesus talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. 11 out of Jesus' 39 parables are about money. There's about 500 verses in scripture about prayer and faith together. Guess how many about money? Two thousand. Why is that? Does the Bible just like to talk about economic theory? And <laughs> No. <laughs> Jesus knew. He said, where, where, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. If you remember back to Watergate, there's that reporter, Bob Woodward, for some of you who are a little older, maybe you studied this in school, and Bob Woodward broke the Watergate case. And, and Bob said, what did he say? Some of you remember this. He says, follow the what? Follow the money follow the money. And that's what Jesus says, follow the money. If you want to know what John cares about in my family, if I want to know what you care about in your family, just show me your checkbook. It's that simple. It just is. There's this weird relationship, and it's a corrupted relationship a lot of times, between followers of Jesus and money. <laughs> and we're going to dive right into that and, and, and explore that uh, today. Now, a couple things are going on within you that, that I want to address. One, uh, some of you are like, uh, like I'm not going to listen today because I don't have any money. <laughs> like, I basically don't. And I just want to bring a little perspective to that. I want to say, some of you, that may be true. Some of you are really, really struggling. And as your church, as your family, you tell us what you need. We'll do what we can to walk with you and provide with you. We're committed to that. But for most of us, I wanna put forward to us that according to the writers of scripture, we are rich. If you make make more than, if your household makes more than $38,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of the world. If you make more than $60,000 a year, household income, that's me, we're in the top .2% of the world. And we live in the richest country in all of the history of humanity. There's a graph I will come up to show how much wealth our country has. You're like, well, I don't have much of that pie. But we're rich, according to the of scripture, for most of us. They just found, I came across a story. My wife and I are going uh, as part of the doctorate program and then to, to, to the Holy Land in March. I'm super excited. never been, but I, I love ar- uh, archaeology. Archeolog- and they found a toilet. It'll come up on the screen. Like, keep, Just keep that picture up there. So uh, this is an ancient toilet. And they hardly found any of these. Why is it? Because only the rich of the rich had this. So if your toilet looks better than that, <laughs> <laughs> then you better pay attention today, right? You're with it, and I'm not trying to shame anybody. This is, this is a no shame zone, and I want you to hear that. Like, a lot of you bringing in your baggage. Many of you don't know me very well, so you're going to read into what I have to say and all that, and I can't, I can't do much about that at all. I, gotta, I guess I got to ask you to trust me, and I'll say this. We use this line a lot, and it's, it, I, can't, I can't tell you how genuine this is. All I care about is discipleship around here. So I'm talking about it today because it's a core discipleship thing, I don't want anything from you. I want something for you. And you gotta trust me on that. All right, and we're gonna do an interactive thing today with our bodies, because I think we need to do more of that. So it won't be too intense, just relax. So I want you to get your hands and I want you to, to grip them like this. Come on, everybody, this is interactive. This is the vision of the good life according to the world. Hold on, get more, mind, 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 consumer, grip. I call it the clenched fist mentality. You're gonna have to pry this out of my hands because it's mine, that kind of deal. And and that that is not the vision of Jesus. That is not the way of Jesus. That is not life. Life is like this. Open up your hands. That's it, it's not mine, it's yours. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So as I pray, I just want you, if you're okay with it, just hold up in your hands. And some of you, I'm pushing you here, I know that. But as I pray, as we launch into this, just hold your hands open. Oh, Father God, we, uh, we bow the knee to you, King Jesus. Our breath is yours. Everything is yours. And Michelle said, all is grace. Everything is grace. So God, we, just, we, we release it to you here this morning. We give it to you. We have a posture of openness. I pray against the evil one this morning. I pray against deceit. Jesus talked about the deceitfulness of wealth. It fools us. I pray against that, God, that you would reorient our hearts and our minds to think clearly about what you think about our wealth and our money and our stuff and that you would free us from entrapments that may be in our lives. For our sakes, for your sakes, for the sake of the world. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Our new uh, famous friend, Cherry Cox, is going to come up now and uh, read the scripture. So yeah, give it up for Cherry. thanks i think <laughs> reading today from 1st timothy 4:16 through 19 command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but put their help their hope in god who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment command them to do good to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is the word of the Lord. Mm -hmm. Thanks be to God. Uh, thanks, Cherry, we're, we're grateful uh, for you. And just a little, a little uh, kind of commercial on the side here. I think you, some of you have heard us this, but our tech team has put a monstrous effort in so that we do live stream now. So right now at 11 o'clock, there's hundreds of people joining us online. So what, all you need to know at this hour is when I tell jokes, just laugh loud because we want them to really feel like everything's funny and they need to be here in the room. But that's really cool, so huge thanks to our tech team. Thanks for that. I think that it gives us, even if you're traveling or away or sick, you can join us at It's like, like you're in the room. All right, so let's get into this passage. I love this passage. To understand it, we don't want to pull things out of context, so we need to go back. First and Second Timothy are pastoral letters, so young Timothy, early 20s. Paul spent a lot of time with him. Paul's away now. He's writing. Timothy's leading the church at Ephesus, which is the most important church in the early world and uh, Timothy would eventually become bishop of the church of Ephesus so Paul's trying to teach him what it is to be a pastor so for context of what Cherry read we got to return to the beginning of of second first Timothy 6 so if you have your Bibles follow along with me we want you in the scriptures all right so this is what Paul's addressing says but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it but if we have food and clothing we will be content with that Those who want to get rich, there's a really key phrase, this is who he's addressing, fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of God is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierce themselves with grief. So most every letter Paul writes, he's addressing heresy, he's addressing false teaching, that's usually or, or an issue in the church. So Paul would plant a church and there'd be false teachers who would come in later and try to distort and mess with the good news of the gospel. In this instance, we can kind of piece together what's going on, there's a group of teachers that have come into the church at Ephesus and are teaching for profit. They're teaching for financial gain. They're giving a gospel of financial gain. Good thing that we no longer struggle with that as a church. That's where you can laugh. That was sarcasm. All right. Everybody's tense because it's a money message. So that's what he's addressing. Those who want to get rich is his phrase. And he's telling Timothy, warn them. Like, they're part of your church, and they're teaching. You need to get them out of teaching. You need to warn them. Then Paul brings up, this is like a little pearl of wisdom that we find outside of Scripture in the first century in other, in other uh, literature. He says, we entered in the world with nothing, and we leave with nothing. We, we should know that. This whole accumulation, because we think we can take it with us. In 1923, uh, Howard Carter, he's an archaeologist, he found King Tut's tomb. There's all kind of really cool documentaries on this. And King Tut was in like a coffin inside a coffin inside a coffin. And then his coffin was like a gold coffin. And there's tons and tons of riches they found. The Egyptian people, especially the elite, thought they could take it with them. Paul calls that crazy talk. He's like, that's crazy talk to think that way. And like you would never like tell me that on the face of things, but like deep in us, because of the, the, the 6,000 to 10,000 messages coming up today this day, to tell us that's the good life, we think that's in us. And we've got to separate ourselves from that crazy way of thinking. Paul's like, you came in with nothing, you're leaving with nothing. So he brings that idea. And then he says, the rich who are just looking to accumulate and gain the clenched fist mindset, he says, they will fall into a trap. And I thought of that, that fable. You probably know that fable of uh, the monkeys and they have like the bottle with cookies in it. You know this fable? And they stick their hand in the bottle to grasp the cookies and then they can't get their hands out. and They literally trap the monkeys. And that's I think what he's talking about. It's clenched fist and We don't want to let go of it. And Paul's like that is a trap. And that is a trap that Paul says leads to ruin and destruction. It will take you down. It's not the life that's truly life, it's the way that leads literally to death. And then Paul gives us the most misquoted verse in all of Scripture, because everybody's like, money is the root of all evil. There's nothing inherently wrong with money. What does Paul say? He says the what? The love. If our hearts are not directed to the Lord and the King and the spaciousness of the kingdom of God, then, then, then we are in deep, deep trouble. Paul says, literally, that if we fall prey to that, then then this will pierce you with grief. Marketers don't put that in their advertisements, do they? Buy this and it will pierce you with grief. (laughs) Probably wouldn't sell a lot. Paul's like, be very, very careful. All right, so now we have the context. So that's the beginning of chapter six, and now we come into the passage that, that Cherry read. Paul uses a very strong word for Timothy in the Greek. He says, command those who have this type of mindset, Command them, Timothy, wake them up, snap them out of it. And he says this, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. It's building our lives on quicksand. It's a house of cards. But to put our hope in God, who has richly provided for everything that we need. How do we do that? Paul goes on. He says, we do good. We're to be rich in good deeds. And here's the pathway. We are to be generous and we are to be willing to share then Paul uses these two little phrases. He's, he's, he's putting them side by side. He says there is the, the present age, or in the Greek language, it could literally be the now age. And then he says there's this age to come. And the age to come would be Paul talking about when Jesus fully comes into his kingdom. But as we talked about in the, in the Lost Gospel series, it started. That what Jesus announced when he arrived is the age to come is invading the now age. And those of us who follow Jesus should be entering into it and beginning to live it now. Paul's like, that has to be true with our money. He goes, we can't take our money as followers of Jesus and operate in the now age mentality, the distortions of what the good life is. We're to be living into how we will all be living in a very short time when we shed our earth suits and we're with the Lord. There's not going to be all this foolishness in heaven when we're with the Lord. Paul's like, live that way now. If you remember back to that that first three-week series, I talked about Dallas Willard and how he said his goal was to live so fully into the kingdom so that when he actually died, he wouldn't know he had died for a while. And that's how it's supposed to be with our money. We don't want to get there and be like, I don't even know how this all works. This is really confusing. We're like, no, I've been living this way. This isn't much of a change of how I approach stuff. I'm really, really increasingly compelled of stories of generosity. Because I, I think they're so unusual. And I think there's such a deep mark of people taking the way of Jesus seriously. We have friends uh, that run generousgiving.org. We've done some stuff with them through the years. If you go to that website, there's like, like Cherry story, there's incredible stories of generosity. And just watch some of them sometimes when you start to doubt the way of Jesus and the people of Jesus. Like, these are incredible. One I came across the other day, uh, Alan and Catherine Barnhart. I think they're from Tennessee. And they felt, they, they met in college and they felt called to the mission field to Africa. And so they uh, they kind of had a a, 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 they got everything ready. They had their support raised, all that. And then Alan's family came to him. Alan was trained as as an engineer, and said, "Son, you know, we decided to sell the family business. It was a pretty small business, but it was an engineering kind of heavy equipment type business. And if if you want it, it's yours. And if you don't want it, we'll sell it." You know, you decide, so they said it kind of brought up tension in their, in their marriage, but after lots of prayer, they decided that their mission field was to be this business. So he and his brother, they owned it 50-50, and they came together deeply devoted followers of Jesus. They studied every verse, all 2,000 in the scripture of what, it had, of, what money, of what money can do to us and how we're to deal with it, and they were scared, they said. They were frightened, and they decided right then to cut the connection between their income and the growth of the business. They said, we don't wanna, if, it's, if God blesses us and successful, we don't want to continue to get successful. So they, they decided on a set salary. It would stay the same throughout, and they decided to give every single cent away that they could because it was the Lord's business, and they kept their word. And they're, they're super gifted business people. They have an office here in Portland. Their son lives here. Um, it's grown to a $400 million business. And so they kept their word every step of the way, raising six kids. They kept a set, so, I mean, there was, there was a range. You know, When they were raising kids, it was a little bit higher, but like, it's, it's if I told you what it was, it's just normal wage. They're, these aren't rich people. And they begin to start to give as much money away as they can. They got to a point where they said, hey, let's take 50% of the profits and give it away. That was a million dollars a year early on. And then they said, this isn't enough. This is the Lord's company, so let's give away the company. And their financial advisor's are like, are you insane? This company's exploding. They're like, let's keep 1% so that we can like, continue to direct it, but let's give away the company to the National Christian Foundation to use all the profits for the good of the world and the good of the kingdom. So to date, last year, are you ready for this? They gave away $21 million. Isn't that incredible? I mean, that's the Lord, who does that? No one does that except for people that take Jesus seriously. And this is what Alan said. Everything I have comes from God, belongs to God. My job is to be a steward and figure out what the Lord wants me to do with his stuff. If you hear nothing else today and you're just tuning out now or angry that you came to church on a money week, hear this, please. This has been so transformative in my life and in Corey's life. It's not your stuff. It just isn't. It's not my stuff. Nothing. Our breath is the Lord's. You didn't earn it. It's not your stuff. God gave you the brain and the power and the muscle and the life to do the, all that. God's gracious is all his. We are God's money managers. And that's the key to understanding the good life. Now, let me, let's, get, let's get practical. And if you doubt this, let me, let me just give you one or two scriptures. Some like, oh, this is just like what you think, John. No, <laughs> Nope. First Chronicles, this scene, David has asked all of Israel to bring stuff to the temple, to give to the Lord, to build out the temple. And he prays this incredible prayer. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Here it is. Everything comes from you. And we have given you only what comes from your hand. Paul's more explicit. He tells the Corinthian church, what do we have that we did not receive? Just ask yourself that question. What do you have that wasn't given to you? It's all given to you. Everything. So let's talk about money management tips. So if you if you buy that and some of you might not and some of you just need need to wrestle with that. But if you do and I think it's it's explicitly biblical then how do we manage God's stuff? How do we be good money managers? Uh, Money management tip number one is that more money or stuff will not make us happy. That's a lie. That's the deceitfulness of wealth. Jesus called it the bigger. I call it the bigger barn mentality. Where he talked about that parable, right, of the rich man who built bigger and, bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's what the world tells us we should do. And then Jesus, when that guy inevitably died, which we all will, life's short. Do you remember what Jesus called the man? He says, "You what? You fool! You fool! You fell for the lie." Don't fall for the lie. It's not going to make us happy. Jesus knew he was, he, was, he, he was a Jewish man. He was steeped in the scriptures. He knew the wisdom literature. He knew this proverb. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone. For surely they were sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. And we hear the exact opposite 6,000 to 10,000 times a day. <laughs> The picture I showed earlier of the lottery picture of Jack Whitaker, if you notice, he didn't look happy that he had won $314 million. And it crushed his life. Uh, He he lost it all in four years. It destroyed his family. It destroyed his health. He had people literally in his family who died because of the wealth. And that's not an atypical story for people who come into vast sums of money. He said, if I knew what would have happened, I would have torn up the ticket. That's just, good. it just doesn't compute. And I deal with this, you deal with this. I'll walk into Costco and we bought a a TV there, a nice big screen TV like six years ago. But that's like dinosaur age now, right? And I walk in and we're there to get like Costco stuff. And I wander into the TV section inevitably. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, what is this? And my wife's so awesome for me in this way. She literally pushes the cart by and she's like, no. And then she tells me to go get the eggs, you know? Kind of like, oh, okay, that's not happening. Or, here's true vulnerability, when I'm having dark days, and I certainly have them, or a tough Sunday, or a tough week, um, I find myself, because we got Amazon Prime, I'll, late at night, be buying random, stupid crap on Amazon. Anybody else do that? <laughs> Like, I don't even know why I gotta do it. Like, why? And now I read this article the other day, when we do that, we get a dopamine hit. Literally, we get a dopamine hit, because there's this thing that we get excited about the package, here's the full truth, I don't even remember what I ordered half the time, and I'm excited about opening it. Like, I'm falling for the lie, this is how we fall for the lie. And it just doesn't work. This is what. so this is how you guys can keep me accountable. You can just, on a Sunday, be like, how's your Amazon addiction going? You know, just keep me like, what crap did you order this week? Uh, We know that that America is the richest country in the history of the world. We know that. There's no dispute. We're also, there's no dispute that it's the most depressed country in the history of the world. Andrew Carnegie, he was a steel titan who was a multimillionaire. He once said, millionaires seldom smile. (laughs) this doesn't work it's a lie so that's the first thing to do money management tip number two is to plan to give back to God first there's a lot in that little statement plan to give back to God first number one is planning Uh, there's a proverb that says careful planning puts you ahead in the long run hurry and scurry puts you further behind when we do not budget our money the stuff that God's given us we inevitably buy stuff we don't need we have to budget young people if you're in here there's a lot of you in here listen learn to budget. There's a ton of free budget apps out there. We'll help you. We have a ton of people around here who can help you. It's the best thing you can ever, ever do. Get a plan for how you're going to manage God's stuff. So that's number one. And then number two is give back to God. It's all his first. We give God the leftovers a lot of times. I did it for years. Like, we live how we want to live, and then whatever scraps are left, we give to the holy God who owns it all anyway. It's just repugnant. Is, is, I don't know that's, I'm not trying to be judgy. Like, I'm just trying to name what Scripture says. The Proverbs say, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Now, they were an agrarian culture, so when they, when they brought their giving, they would come and bring, like, tomatoes or, you know, radishes or whatever it was, <laughs> livestock. We're not agrarian anymore. So we, we typically give money. That's how it, how it goes. We're supposed to do that first. So here's like a basic, a basic budget that I heard long ago that I still think is just brilliant. If you want to start somewhere, imagine having 10 $1 bills. Give one to God first. Save one and live on the other eight. Now that's really complex math, so let me repeat that. It's just really... It's like a, <laughs> right I, th- I just think that's a I mean I want that for our dogs that's how we have them do their ties we have different like drawers that they literally put that in we're trying to like teach them young like that's the way of scripture that's the that's the way of life so you might say well John how much what what percent is is right and we don't have time to get into all the scripture in life. there is no percentage in the New Testament but in the Old Testament, if you want to use that as a template, trust me, you don't want to use that as a template. <laughs> because the word tithe, yes, means 10%. But God's people gave 23%. And that's just too convicting, so let's move on. That. <laughs> it's just t- tough. But here's what I love about it. They had three different tithes in the Old Testament. One was to the priests, that's like when you give to New Hope or the church. One was to the vulnerable, the most vulnerable in their community to help them out. That might be when when you you give to an, an organization or whatever. And three, this is my favorite one, the party tithe. I'm not kidding, I'm not making this up. They were to set aside some money so that they could be generous to celebrate and party all that God had given them. So what what do the Rosensteils do? And I don't say this, I'm always hesitant to go here because I don't like talking about this stuff, but also I want you to know I'm in it with you, in my tensions with Costco TVs and Amazon purchases, but also in how we go about budgeting. So we we shoot for the 10%. I think that's a fine thing to shoot for. And so we endeavor to give 10% away. We take seriously the first fruits. And so New Hope has an incredible platform, app, called Push Pay that you can give in a lot of different ways. And we just, because we don't trust ourselves, we just set up a monthly thing. And it's just taken out right away. And we give most of our giving to New Hope. This is where we're formed. You're our family. We become like Jesus here. So we do that, and then we support a number of different missionaries and organizations that we just think it connects with our hearts. We think they're doing really cool things. When emergencies crop up, we give there. And then, yes, the Rose and Steels have a party tie, which is awesome. And some of you have seen that at times. And we'll have parties, and we'll take people out to dinner and be like, we want to pick up the check. And, and that sort of generosity. So that's kind of how, how we do it, and it's just, it's just a benchmark. Here's the raw reality, and I wanna just warn against shame right now in the room. This is a no shame zone. This is about grace. We want stuff for you. So just that's of the devil. But here's the raw reality is most people just don't give anything, hardly. The, the latest stats are it, American Christians who make under $75,000 a year only give away 2.5% of their, of their wealth. Just give away to anything. People who make over $75,000 a year only give away 1%. The typical church go in America, and I don't even know the stats for our church. I, I, I would like to think that, it, that it's higher. The typical church in America, only one out of four people give regularly. And those people give on an average of $17 a week. I think that as disciples of Jesus, we could do right, better. There's, there's room for growth. I think that we could all admit, without shame. And we're, we all got to do that work with Jesus and with the Lord. Some of you through the years, I'm just going to make this super quick because I, I hesitated even putting it in there, but I think it's, it's warranted. Some of you are always asking because you're, you're our church, like we're together, like how are we doing on the budget? And, and, uh, and, and you can find out every week, we have an online bulletin, uh, but we're about 14% behind right now. I'm not stressed. God's always taking care of this church. It's his church. So I'm not stressed, but it's my duty just to inform. And maybe in your process of becoming more generous, those stories mix. And and you can can get in the game. Maybe some of you aren't in the game. And I invite you in not because we need anything from you. We want something from you. And, and we want generosity. We want you to experience the life that is truly life. Um, all right, so I, I you know, my, growing up, my family and my parents are here today so they could authenticate the story, but my dad was a great businessman, small business owner, and then the recession hit back in the 80s and, and we lost the business. I remember that poignantly as a, as a high schooler. And they worked super hard to try to salvage everything they could. But there were, there were months, maybe even years, that we were flirting with bankruptcy, which is tough for a kid, a teenager to understand. But I, I remember fervently as I'm watching, and I'm just a really young, immature follower of Jesus, but I remember my parents, every month, even when it got so, so close, we're talking to bankruptcy lawyers, they're writing their tithe check out to the church first. That shows their faith in the Lord. And for this young dude, it's so woven into me. And it's so shaped me. I'm so grateful to my parents for, for that example. We hope to give it to our girls. I had a mentor uh, years ago, uh, just kind of leaned in. He, he's a real, real kind of a abrupt fella, really honest. And he's like, John, he's like, how much of God's stuff do you want to keep for yourself? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, you know? That's a convicting question. And that's something that I challenge you as your pastor to wrestle with, not out of guilt, not out of shame, but back to our next point here. Here's, here's money management tip number three no grumpy giving. I mean, we got a couple boxes in the back where people give, and I've been thinking about we just got to write out a sign that literally says no grumpy giving and put a smiley face on it. We don't want it. Don't give grumpily, please. That's not the way we're called to, to, to give. Uh, Paul's writing to, to the church of Corinth, and he says this, and he's talking about he's, he's getting all the churches to give to the Jerusalem church who's in a state of famine. It's dire. And he's telling the Corinthians who had wealth, they were wealthy, about the Macedonians who were poor. And of all the churches Paul collected from the Macedonians gave the most. And Paul's like this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? cheerful giver, no grumpy giving. Years ago when I came here and we're kind of rebirthing New Hope and things were in dire straits financially, I think at one point we had $33,000 in cash reserves, which is not a good situation to be in. One of the first big changes I brought to the church is we're gonna stop passing the plates. And I think literally the leadership thought I was crazy. They had hired a crazy man. And the reason I did this, because we have to recreate culture. And, And no offense to any churches that pass the plate, but I think that when a plate comes in front of your face, and I've heard stories of people, of churches that just pass the plate until it gets full. They just keep passing, just keep passing, right? It feels compulsive, right? And this, the Bible says don't do that. So we're trying to create a culture around here of freedom and of joy so that, I mean, after first service I had tons of conversations with people with tears in their eyes about learning generosity and the joy of it and the freedom of it, that's what we want. Uh, one of my favorite Christmas memories years ago, my daughter Eden, she's 13 now, she was seven, and uh, we had bought her an American Girl doll, and I, I didn't know anything, what, even what that was. Now I know way too much about American Girls. so. <laughs> and there, her grandmother, and we weren't happy about this, gave her a second American Girl doll. And, and Eden's heart is so generous, she, she's such an incredible person. And she, uh, she came to us at age seven. And said, I know my, da- my, my sister Jubilee, who was four, doesn't have an American Girl doll. I'd like to give her one of mine. And I'm just like, because <gasps> you see generosity growing in the hearts of your kids. It's incredible. So I remember that Christmas, and she wrapped it up. And I remember Jubilee's face, age four, just like, oh, my gosh, an American Girl doll. But you know who was more happy that morning? I looked over at Eden. She was more happy. God loves a cheerful giver, no grumpy giving. All right, last one, and then we're out here. Uh, last money management tip is we're not called to just give, but to give generously. generously. That's what Paul says, to give generously. Then we'll sow uh, generously. When the God's people in the Old Testament gave, this is a super cool rhythm and system of giving, they would come up as they gave at the temple and they would retell the story of God's grace as they, told, as they came. As they, literally they laid down their offerings. It will be like my father was a traveling Aramaean and on and on and on. And God set us free from slavery in Egypt and on and on and on. God's grace. Paul notes that our giving generously should come out of a, an apprehension, a deep apprehension of how much God has given us. That's the tie, right? It has to, that's the only way we can be generous. That's what happened to Alan and Catherine Barnhart. They knew what had been given to them and continues to be given to them. So Paul's like, we give generously because we understand that God is generous to us. Tim Keller, he's a New York City pastor. I love this quote. He says, if you grasp your spiritual inheritance, you will be You ready for this? Promiscuously generous. Whoever thought of those two words going together? Promiscuously generous with your earthly inheritance. The word generous means larger and more plentiful than is usual or necessary. I came across a story, some of you may have seen it. Uh, It it was out there, but a a guy who had a a meal at, let me get, the Stumble Inn Bar and Grill in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Uh, just Just a little bar and grill. And he had a very pedestrian meal. He had two chili dogs. He had fried pickle chips. I don't know if he, I don't even know what those are. And a couple cocktails. His bill came to thirty-seven dollars and ninety-three cents. He tipped sixteen thousand dollars. <laughs> they went to him like, "Sir, like this can't be right." He's like, "No, it's right." He's like, "I know one hundred and ten thousand restaurants and bars have closed. I know that you're vulnerable. I want you to know you're seen. I've been given a lot. I want to give back." And that changed families, they said, in that restaurant. That, for single moms who were working, that, that that's generosity. The word that Paul uses in the Greek, and this is a little nerdy, but I'm a little nerdy, so that's okay, is really cool. It's two little Greek words put together, the Greek word for over and the Greek word for praise. Generosity is overpraise. When you hear that story of that guy tipping, you're like, oh my gosh, that's way too much. Way too much for even if you got the most exceptional service in the world, that's way too much. That's an overpraise. That's what we'll be called to do as followers of Jesus. The world who's watching us, who wants to know if it's truly good news, sees how followers of Jesus use their money, see them be generous with their time and talents, and they're like, oh my goodness, those people, their God must be awesome because of how they're overpraising with what he has given them. There there, there are two ways of going at this. We have two competing visions of the good life. We have the clenched fist vision. (laughs) The good life is just getting more and getting more and holding on to it and you're gonna have to pry my fingers loose to get some of what's mine. That is the way of the devil. It's the way of ruin and destruction. It will pierce your life with grief. I don't want that for any of us, myself included. Or there's the way of Jesus. The way that says live into the kingdom today—it's all His stuff, and as we give it away for the sake of the world, the sake of our lives, for our Father in heaven, our hearts will grow and expand. Maybe it makes me—it makes me think of the Grinch, right? Remember he had clenched fist mindset, and then he looks down in Whoville and he sees all the Whos who had this mindset. And remember that one of the last lines that Dr. Seuss wrote, it said that when he finally gave it all back, it says his heart grew through three sizes that day. And that's what will happen. So what do we do with all this? I'm just up here ranting and yelling about everything. So here's what we do. Just do one thing this week to practice generosity. Just one thing. That's it. It's a very, very simple assignment. For some of you, go, you might need to go to the Generous Giving website and just watch some stories. Have your heart provoked of what that life might look like. Some of you have never given, and there's no shame there. You, you didn't grow up with that, or maybe you're in a lot of debt, or budget. Just start to budget so you can set yourself up to eventually give and not ruin your family. Some of you can give and just don't, like give and give first. Some of you give faithfully. I see you in the room. I know you. I don't track giving, so don't worry about that. But, but I, I know your faithfulness. I know how you've kept this church together from, from where we were then to where we are now. And you're incredible. Thank you for your generosity. I know you're tasting the life that is truly life. Give more. And I don't say that because we, we need stuff from you. I want it for you. Uh, if you see somebody in need and you, or you, an organization, like give to them. Maybe that's your step. Maybe simply your step is, and let's not all do this one because this is probably the most enjoyable step, like take someone out to, to lunch or dinner for a party and pay. Or do that at some point of the next time. We got this. We got this because God's good. Let's overpraise him. Just do one thing, to taste the life that is true life. Give it a shot and see what happens. And I bet if you do, you'll see that those 6,000 to 10,000 ads coming in every day are foolishness and they're crazy talk. And you, I bet you will not regret it. I had a friend once say to me, I've I've, I've never met a reformed giver. <laughs> never met somebody that stepped in the lights of generosity and they're lying on their deathbed one day and they're looking back and they're like, I just wish I wasn't as generous as I was. Oh, <laughs> Let's let's step into that life and taste and see, as the scriptures say, that the Lord is good. Amen. Alright, let me pray for us. And as I pray, if you're if you're willing, I don't want to put this on you, there's no compulsion here. Just open your hands. Just like this. Just let's let's try to even those of us who struggle with clenched fists. Let's just open our hands. Spirit of God, we just acknowledge your presence in the room. We we acknowledge what you're doing in hearts. We want to be open to conviction, God. Not shame. You don't do shame, but conviction. We we want to wake up from the stupor. We don't want to be living a long life and come to the end of our days and just see clenched fist living that's led to ruin and destruction and grief. We don't want that, God. We don't want that for ourselves or our families or our kids or our grandkids. We don't want that for the world. We don't want that for you. God, I don't, I don't know uh, where exactly we're going as a church. I guess I should, but I don't know. I don't know what you're doing, but we invite you. We say, come, Lord Jesus. And I just, my hope, God, is that whatever we're becoming as a church, the people that interact with us, the people who see us from the outside maybe wondering if God is indeed good. They may say a lot of things about us, but I hope one thing they say, God, is my goodness, that's a generous church. My goodness, they overpraise. Their God must be awesome. And you have to do that work at us, God. There's a lot of work to do. So come in us, Spirit of God. Convict us, change us, redirect and reorient our lives and our possessions and our stuff and our money around the way of life and the way of of the kingdom that's found in Jesus. Uh, Not for our glory, but for yours. And all God's people said, Amen. amen.